from Ruth, chapters 3 and 4. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, I need to seek some security for you, so that it may be well with you. Now here is our kinsman, Boaz, with whose, with whose young women you have been working. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now wash and anoint yourself and put on your best clothes and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. She said to her, All that you tell me, I will do. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When they came together, the Lord made her conceive, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without next of kin, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more than seven sons, has borne him. Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom and became his nurse. The, woman of the, the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He became father of Jesse, the father of David. Our next story is from the Gospel of Mark, in which Jesus contrasts the behavior of the powerful religious leaders with the powerless widow. On the one hand, you see a group of people who never can get enough, and on the other hand, a person who never has enough. Which should we admire? From Mark chapter 12. As he taught, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogue and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance, they say long prayers. They will receive the greater com condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more in than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. I want to start today just by going back over the story of Ruth. This is one of those wonderful books in the Bible that you could pick up. It's just a few chapters, and it has this whole story that's just rich with meaning there. So let me refresh your memory because we only read a little part of it today. It starts actually with a woman named Naomi who lived in Bethlehem. Naomi was married and had two sons, and a famine came to Bethlehem in the surrounding region. Now, you can relate to this. 
In other words, they had an economic crisis. They couldn't do the work that they'd usually done. Uh, people were scrounging around and were pretty anxious about things. And what Naomi's family decided to do was to move to a, a different place for a while. They went to the land of Moab. They actually went out of their own country where they thought they could, uh, you know, work and, and get food for themselves and find some new security. While they were there, Naomi's two sons married. But tragically, all three men, Naomi's husband and her two sons, died very soon after that. So they'd come there for security but lost it. Naomi decided the best way that she could find security was to go back to her hometown where there would be people that she was related to who could maybe take responsibility for her and care for her. And she tried to send her two daughters-in-law back to their homes. That's normally what a woman would do, especially if she was still fairly young and widowed. She would return to her father's house to be cared for and maybe remarry after that again. But Ruth would not go. Ruth said she would stay with Naomi. She was risking poverty and, and being known as a, for, you know, being a foreigner in a foreign land. But out of love for Naomi, Ruth would not go back home again. So they go back to Bethlehem, and, and Naomi is in desperate straits. Naomi and Ruth both are. Here they are, two women on their own. And, and things, I mean, it's, it's really rough at first for them. But they're kind of squeaking by with, with Ruth gleaning in the fields with the other poor. This is where, while the grain was being cut, the poor were allowed to kind of walk along behind, and anything that was dropped on the ground or that was at the edges of the field where you hadn't cut it, they were allowed to pick that up. And things start kind of looking up because Ruth is gleaning in this guy Boaz's field, and he notices her, and he seems to take, you know, you know, like her, and he helps her out. And so things are looking real good, but then it's getting towards the end of the harvest time. They're doing more winnowing than harvesting. That is, they're separating out the grain. And I think Naomi starts getting a little nervous. And this is where our story today picks up. Because Naomi is thinking, you know, that Boaz, I thought he was going to step up and take responsibility for us, but I'm not so sure anymore. So she has this plan where she thinks, okay, this will really make Boaz commit to our cause. And she calls Ruth to her and she said, okay, Ruth, it's time for us to, to plan our own security. And that's the word that's used in the scripture, okay? It's time for us to plan our own security. And this is what I want you to do. So she tells Ruth to go and meet up with Boaz at the threshing floor. Now, I can't, there's, <laughs> there's details of this story that I can't really share with you. I will just say that meeting up with this guy at the threshing floor has a lot of double meanings. And so this was a, an actually very risky thing that Ruth is going to do. She's a foreigner. You know, nobody's there to defend her, <clears throat> defend her if she gets into trouble in some way. And so she goes and, 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 and uh, does exactly what Naomi suggests that she, do, she does. And at this point, the plan could have backfired majorly. She, they, both Naomi and Ruth could have gotten into a lot of trouble. But indeed, it doesn't. God's hand is probably right here in this story, in, especially at this moment, just like in a lot of times, he's in this story. But Boaz, indeed, at this point, after this, uh, after this event with Ruth, he does commit himself. He marries Ruth. And indeed, Naomi and Ruth have a new security. And not just Naomi and Ruth. This is what's really neat. It's like, a, you know, this story has all these ramifications. 
not only Naomi and Ruth are secure, but the nation of Israel is secured because the child, Obed, is the father of Jesse, who becomes the father of David, the beloved king of Israel and Jesus' ancestor. So let me ask you this question. And this is kind of like, a, I always think, this is kind of like a fairy tale. Um, and, and there's a lot of different ways of looking at this story. Especially, I always think it's like a fairy tale right at the end when the women are all kind of gathered around the baby and they're like a bunch of fairy godmothers naming the baby and blessing the baby. So there's this happy ending there with, with the ending. And they say, and Ruth is like seven sons. Usually a woman had to depend on uh, her sons for her security or her husband for her security. What Naomi had was Ruth, who was as good as seven sons. So, I mean, the, the, this whole message, uh, this whole story does end happily. But what kind of a story is it? What kind of a story is it? Did they do it all themselves? Think about this. I want you, because you can really take a couple different positions here. You know, was this, did things work out because Naomi was willing to make a scheme and risk some things? Did things work out because Ruth was obedient and loving? You can make a case for that. Did things work out because Boaz was compassionate for the poor? You could make a case for that. You could make a case for any one of these explanations that this person in the story did something right. And you could make this into really just a straight morality tale and say the moral of the story is you should be, you know, daring and compassionate and loving. But don't forget God in the story. Don't forget God in the story. God is in, there, in this story in unexpected ways. I mean, with Ruth originally saying that she's going to stay with Naomi, that's unexpected. That's unexpected. It's, it's in, God is there when, um, when Naomi comes up with this plan. God is there when Boaz notices Ruth. God is there when Boaz makes the commitment then to marry Ruth. God is there even in the fact that they have a baby. All of that could have happened really nicely, and then they still could have not had a baby at the end. And, or it could have been a, a girl child or, and not ever have had a baby boy that could carry on the next generations. I mean, it, it, things keep happening that you see, even though the people are all also doing things and they're to be admired, God's hand is all through this story again and again and again. And notice how God is acting. God isn't, you know, like there are lightning bolts coming down. God is acting through the people in the story. That's how God acts. I love how, you know, Jenny talked to the children about how they can be the security and the safety and the, and the warmth and love for somebody else. We all can be. God acts through us. God acts through us. That's how God acts in the world. That's the only way God can act. We work with God and God works in us. And yet... <laughs> We have, as humans have this tendency to persist in thinking it's, it's, it's all us, that we did it all on our own, that, that whatever we did or whatever we've accomplished or whatever security we've ha- we have, we did it ourselves, right? Isn't that? There's a passage in Deuteronomy that says, be careful when you get into the new land that you don't go, I did this myself. You need to remember again and again and again what God did for you. 
because God knows this is exactly what we do as human beings. We end up, you know, if things kind of go well, we go, wow, that, that was, I was pretty smart, wasn't I? I've really worked hard. I deserve all this stuff. And then, of course, the corollary to that is because I earned all this and I did this and these, this is my stuff. I can do whatever I want with my stuff because it's because of my brains and my hard work. You see the danger there, don't you? Be careful. Be careful. Because down that path isn't security, which is what we all want, but trouble. Trouble, trouble, trouble. The psalm today that was in the lectionary was Psalm 127. And I didn't have it read, but I do have the first verses as like our little, you know, opening verse here in the bulletin. Unless the Lord builds the house... Those who build it labor in vain. I gave that to you so you can take that home even. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Let me read you a little more of that too. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. Did anybody go to bed late last night? Okay, (laughs) yeah, and did it feel like you had to get up early this morning? Yes, absolutely. See, these are the honest people in this congregation. (laughs) Okay, are there other nights when you go to bed late and get up early? Yes, you're working hard, going to school, doing the job, taking care of the family, raking the leaves, right? Are you feeling a little anxious about these things? Of course, but it says... It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives sleep to his beloved. He gives sleep to his beloved. And I liked, I looked in my, the note in my Bible had an alternate translation for that last phrase. It said, or he provides for his beloved during sleep. Doesn't that sound nice? I like both of those. That he gives sleep. And provides during sleep. The point is that we can work and work and work and work and work. And we can be anxious, anxious, anxious. And not even sleep very much. But if we just have a certain amount of trust in God. And take the rest that God wants us to. There will be providence that is, works out in our lives. There will be providence. It doesn't mean we're not supposed to work at all. This is kind of like the lilies of the field. Remember that Jesus teaches about, he says, look at the lilies of the field, you know, and see how they're clothed and they don't toil or spin. And he's not saying don't, don't work, don't, you know, don't, he's not saying go home and twiddle your thumbs and hope good things come to you. The idea is to work together with God and not be so anxious. Not be so anxious all the time about, you know, doing this. I, I have to be secure. I have to, I have to save up a lot. I have to make sure that I, you know, I'm, I'm okay forever and ever and ever. Amen. With no thought of ever trusting God. You know, the trouble is we don't like it necessarily if God builds the house with us. We don't really trust God to build the house the way we want it to be built. Or we're afraid if God builds the house with us, God might think he has some say in how to decorate it. But left to our own human devices, we're always going to mess up. That's all there is to it. You know, the scribes of Jesus' time, these are the religious leaders, they felt pretty secure because everything in the world was telling them how special they were. And they liked it. They liked having the best seats in the synagogue. And you know what the best seats in the synagogue were? Like these people up here. In the synagogue, the best seats were up in the front facing the rest of the people. So watch out. (laughs) 
They liked it when they got the seats of honor at a banquet. Everything, you know, the way you sat at a meal was strictly, you know, by social status. They liked it when people greeted them out in the marketplace. The, the way it worked was two people would come together out in public, and the less important person always had to say hello. So if everybody's saying hello to you, that meant you were pretty important. So they thought they were hot stuff. They thought they had everything made, and they were so secure. But Jesus says to them, says they are in trouble. They are in trouble. Not only are they not important, but they have gotten to where they are by oppressing the poor, by devouring widows' houses. They've built themselves a house of cards because they've gotten where they are by doing things exactly against God's will. And they're going, their whole house is going to fall down. They're going to be condemned because of this behavior. Watch out, says Jesus. Don't do what they do. Look at what they're doing and don't do that. And he turns around and this story is paired with the story of the widow putting her money in the treasury. And the treasury would be kind of like some churches have through the years had, you know, a poor box. The treasury was actually meant, to, it was for the alms for the poor. And here's this widow who is the poor, you know, she embodies the poor, putting in all that she has to live on into this. And, you know, other people might look at what she's doing and go, well, that was stupid. How, why did she put that money in there? That's all she had to live on. And, you know, in the wisdom of the world, which is you must make yourself secure by getting as much as you can, what she did was, was a dumb thing to do. But Jesus looks at her and he says, look at her. Remember he said, look at the scribes and don't do that. And he turns around and draws their attention to the widow instead. You know, I really like the scriptures today because this is one of those Sundays when the meaning is not obscure. <laughs> and I don't have to hit you over the head with it. You just need to hear these stories and, he, and you know, and look at these characters and you get it. I mean, the, the meaning there is obvious. And this is, it's so timely for us. We're finishing up our stewardship campaign. It's just timely because, you know, the climate of the world right now. We are anxious, right? We're really anxious. The economy is poor. A lot of people are out of work. Look, I don't think there's anybody here that doesn't have a friend or neighbor or family member who's looking for a job. We know this. This is what's going on right now. Charitable giving, of course, then, is, is down also. And so institutions are struggling. Schools and churches and all kinds of places are struggling. We're not unaffected here at Brexville. Although I will say, you know, that your generosity and the stewardship of the leaders of this church, I think, have made us not feel... Um, as anxious as, as I, I, you know, I spend a lot of time with other pastors, and I know there's a lot of anxiety out there. And I'm grateful for the people of this church, you know, who just keep on supporting and just keep on, on helping us to feel secure with God's help. And not only that, but we're able to kind of continue to do even more mission. In times like this, this is when you need to step up and do even more service. So, you know, all these Christmas opportunities, there's even more families out there to be adopted for Christmas. There's even, you know, more people who will attend a toy sale, even more people who will come to meals at Brooklyn Memorial Church. So this church, I'm really grateful for it, but that doesn't mean we're not anxious. We feel the anxiety, don't we? We're anxious because we're looking for security. We'd love to feel secure and not have to worry about this stuff, of course. So where does the security come from? Go back to our story. It comes from taking risks, like Naomi. It comes from being obedient, like Ruth. It comes from showing compassion, like Boaz. It comes from extravagant giving, like the widow. 
And it comes from God, from working alongside God to build the house. The house is your family. The house is your church. The house is your community. God's building that right alongside us, and God will give us security. Today we are going to be pledging, pledging our gifts and our tithes and our offerings, but also we're pledging the gift of our hands and our time and our love to building the house. We pledge once again to live in Christ and to serve in love. Amen.